From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is the week's worst with Allen and Beta. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capitol Research Center. And I'm Matthew Vadum, Senior Vice President at the Capitol Research Center and Editor-in-Chief of our website, bombthrowers.com. This is our podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. We do it so you don't have to. And first up, I've got it's really interesting story. Apparently, according to the Republican establishment, our taxes are not high enough. Uh, so they're working to get something called a carbon tax put in. My wallet was feeling a little heavy the other day. It was kind of burdensome right. carrying it around. So maybe they do have a point. And they're projecting up to $300 billion a year coming from this carbon tax. So this would go on all sorts of carbon-based fuels, oil, coal, gas, that sort of thing, or anything that indirectly produced uh, carbon that would go into the atmosphere because people who believe in global warming theory think that that's the great threat to the human race right now. And uh, Big so the- angry cloud in sky. Exactly. Yes, and in fact, uh, we have many examples over the centuries of uh, people going after folks over climate change in the 16th century. Uh, witches were burned in Europe because they had caused climate change, according to the experts at the time. And of course, the Syrians in the 1930s, because of climate change, they banned the yo-yo because they believed that that was what was causing the climate to change. So, you know, if when you think about it, maybe a carbon tax isn't that radical an idea uh, compared to those other things. But this is this is the big shots. These are the Republican establishment people, mainly people who thought that the election of Ronald Reagan would be a bad idea back in the 70s. And uh, some of them ended up working for Reagan uh, because he was very inclusive and had the big tent philosophy and wanted to bring everybody in and had to because otherwise they would have tried to do him in the way that they did in Barry Goldwater, the way that in 1964, uh, the way that they tried to do in Donald Trump with the Never Trumpers uh, in this last election. So, so these are the people that uh, you know are the ones that basically Trump ran against, and so they had a big meeting at the White House, and they brought you mean, in. You mean these pinstripe suit wearing country club Republicans? Something like that. And uh, you have uh, two uh, former secretaries of state who were also secretaries of the Treasury, uh, which is uh, James Baker. And again, he was the campaign manager against Reagan, uh, but then uh, Reagan brought him on to work for him uh, because he is a smart guy at running campaigns. And, and then he worked in the White House and, and worked uh, as the, he was the chief of staff and then later held these cabinet positions. And then uh, you had uh, Hank, uh, Hank Paulson, who was the Treasury Secretary under George W. Bush. And uh, George Schultz uh, was the other one that was uh, with James Baker as a former Secretary of State and former Treasury Secretary. Uh, Marty Feldstein, who was the uh, former um, uh, Feldstein, who was the former uh, economic advisor in the White House, and and uh, uh, Greg Mankiw, who was also an economic advisor, that one to George W. Bush, and they go in and and they had this idea. It's backed up by a Washington Post op-ed that appeared earlier this week by uh, the Schultz and Baker. Uh, and they're trying to uh, p- put this idea in of a car of this carbon tax. Now, what they say is that this would be a uh, a carbon fee and dividend. It's not a tax. It's a carbon 
fee and dividend. Oh, that makes it sound so wonderful. You, you, you How know, can I sign up? You know they're being honest in Washington when they take something that's obviously a tax and they call it something else. That's what counts for honesty in Washington is to use some other term rather than tax. They call this uh, call themselves the Climate Leadership Council. And uh, supposedly the deal is that they're going to support rolling back all sorts of terrible federal regulations uh, in return for getting this carbon tax passed. Of course, the problem is that the president has already uh, proposed eliminating 75 percent of federal regulations. So, you know, there's not much there to compromise over. There's not much to give up in return. Uh, for this uh, for this carbon tax, the Republican Party platform opposes specifically opposes uh, carbon taxes, and uh, so this has already been debated within the Republican Party, and uh, and and this was something though that uh, was supported by uh, Exxon uh, Exxon Mobil, uh, whose you know, CEO is uh, has now become the, um, the Secretary of State. Uh, so um, the uh, uh, you know there is, there is a lot of a lot of power behind this, a lot of big shots. There are rumors that Ivanka Trump is in favor of this, but you know I have a lot of respect for her. I hope she's too smart to believe in something this stupid. And uh, the um, but but the the fear is that of course she would be whispering in her father's ear, have a lot of influence. This and- is this is a lady who took a discount airline to Hawaii for her Christmas vacation. Um, because she didn't want to take a private jet because it generated too much carbon. So I think that uh, where there's some smoke, there's some fire there. Well, that is something that's very worrisome. Uh, And of course, you have within the Republican Party, and many people are not aware of this, there's a um, sort of an underground uh, movement uh, to get something like this in. There's a guy named Bob Inglis, who was a congressman from uh, South Carolina. Is that Mr. 7029? <laughs> exactly. And the reason he's called that is because in his previous terms running for, for Congress uh, from a district in South Carolina, he had been uh, reelected with 70% of the vote, 85% of the vote. He was very popular. In fact, at one point, he ran for the U.S. Senate and came very close. I think he, uh, he held his opponent to 53% of the vote, the incumbent. So here he is, uh, almost a senator. He's a House member. And uh, he uh, he then made a big point of being for the carbon tax, and this led to him losing the primary, the primary uh, by seventy to twenty nine. Now you have to understand the idea of losing a Republican primary uh, in a state like South Carolina is almost unheard of. Uh, they almost always reelect their Republican members. You have to get it caught up in some terrible scandal to be losing the primary uh, particular and and, and in you mean like case, being the illegitimate son of uh, John McCain I don't know if that would be a scandal that would do you in uh, since that wouldn't technically be your fault <laughs> so uh, but in any event uh, the, 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 there are Republicans uh, there's the Niskanen Center which is a bunch of people who used to be at Cato Institute and there was some infighting at Cato and the split uh, and they went off and formed their own thing and uh, that's one group. They're they're for a carbon and, tax. And had a psychotic break with reality along the way. Based on this issue, I would I would say that 
There's the R Street Institute, which is supposedly aimed at baby boomers and and uh, you know bringing the Republican Party into the future and and uh, and changing the way it operates so it uh, it won't do the kind of things that in fact the party did in this last election. They throw so awesome Christmas parties at R Street, by well, the way. That, yeah, that is true. I've heard that. I've heard that. Uh, the Christian Coalition, believe it or not, which many people are surprised to find uh, still exists in some form. At one point, was one of the major political groups in the country uh, that was associated with uh, with Pat Robertson. Uh, remember, he ran for president back in '88, and this was kind of the spinoff of that, and and the group that supported him around the country. Uh, and uh, to the degree they still exist, they're mainly known for this. And AEI, uh, American Enterprise Institute, one of the big groups that was one of the original think tanks, uh, and something that um, uh, that a lot of people respect. And they've been promoting this, and also something called the Clear Path Foundation. So these are these are things that within the Republican Party uh, have been um, have been promoting this. And one final thing I'll note: this is such a great idea that it was included in the WikiLeaks uh, from John Podesta's office. Except even Hillary Clinton and her campaign managers did polling. Uh, on this issue, which they thought was a great idea, by the way, they had a fantastic idea for the country and for the world, but they didn't include it in their platform because it tested so poorly. So this is something so bad that even the Clinton campaign rejected it, at least as a political issue. And yet you have Republicans who think it's a great idea for the Republican Party to be behind this thing, which would add 40 cents to the price of a gallon of gas, would increase electricity prices uh, 20, 25%, and so on. So that's the, those are the geniuses that uh, have been the Republican Party establishment and in the we, past. And we ourselves in this studio have generated now quite a bit of carbon dioxide just uh, offering our thoughts on the economy-killing carbon tax. Well, one thing we can count on, and that's the left uh, trying to overthrow Donald Trump in every way possible. And I understand you have, uh, you have something about that as the, well. You're incredibly perceptive. How did you ever know that? Do you have ESP? Um, it was I Ro- did, but I had it treated. Rosa Brooks, a left-wing think tanker who was an undersecretary of defense in the Obama administration and also worked at the State Department and basically everywhere, uh, wrote an op-ed in Foreign Policy Magazine's website urging the violent overthrow of President Trump. She wrote that he is—it uh, it, it turned out that he was— uh, as crazy as they thought he would be, and something has to be done about him. So a military coup was raised as one of three or four options for getting rid of President Trump. And then, when she was called on it, interestingly enough, uh, criticized by Breitbart News uh, reporters and others, uh, she accused a lynch—she said that a, a lynch mob had descended on her and that you can't even be slightly critical— of the Trump administration without people piling on and that this was persecution and it was a t- it was an awful thing but but let's go back to the essential point and that is that she made a seditious statement she said the president of the United States elected uh, by the people of the United States should be overthrown in a violent military coup so uh, so it, it sounds to me like she's spinning what do you think dr. Allen I think some people just can't get over it. You know, that's what they always say to uh, anyone that they, they disagree with who keeps bringing up the same points over and over and, and just 
essentially shouting louder and louder and louder. Uh, you're, you're, you're like that person and, you know, goes to a foreign country and thinks that, uh, when those people who live there don't understand you, if you just raise your voice and keep raising it, eventually they will understand you. Uh, they, the, I, I don't think, well, I think some, some of them are serious. I mean, certainly there are the people who are throwing the rocks through the windows of Starbucks and, and staging protests, uh, wearing masks at uh, that, UC Berkeley. Starbucks, by the way, that's Operation Latte Thunder for Fight Club fans. Oh, well, uh, and, and, and they, they make good drinks that I can't afford. But they, uh, you have a situation where it's just they don't want to, as they say, normalize Donald Trump. They keep using that term. That is to say they don't want to accept that he won the election. And they're going to do everything they can to delegitimize him and su- suggest that he's a monster. Uh, and uh, we have uh, quotes that uh, either on this episode or a future episode from uh, some of the media that I've collected uh, that show that they, they just don't ex- think he's a, a decent human being at all and, and he should be locked up in a mental institution or in prison and not anywhere near the Oval Office, and they're never going to let go of that. And that's okay, because for now at least, the American public doesn't seem convinced. Um, President Trump's approval rating continues to rise, and a recent poll showed that the American people trust President Trump more than the mainstream news media. So, um, you know, while they're uh, huffing and puffing and having uh, conniption fits all over the place uh, on the left, it's a fair bet that, that not everybody is buying it. So there are some people who are kind of panicky on the right uh, and the, I don't think they have any reason to be. This is just the way that the left fights. This is their trench warfare, and they're going to stay at it. Uh, and they're funded heavily by George Soros and other groups uh, and other funders on the left, and they're not going to stop. Like, for example, um, a lot of these uh, deportation protests are sponsored by groups that have ties to George Soros and his Open Society Foundations. And they are planning to dramatically ramp up protests against deportations. Uh, They did one uh, recently, a couple of days ago in the Southwest, against a woman uh, who'd been here for some years, but had a felony conviction uh, for criminal impersonation. And uh, she was deported, but they, they, they had a melee, virtually a riot, to try to prevent that from happening. But they were not able to. She was uh, sent back to, um, to Nogales, Mexico, uh, or uh, around there, I think. It, uh, and she, she is back in her homeland, and there was nothing that the mob could do about it. But that's just, that's just the beginning. That's them testing the waters to see what they can get away with. I would not be surprised if you have full-fledged uh, lynch mobs uh, in the future, or, or kind of reverse lynch mobs, people coming to, to free, pe- free prisoners, free those who are detained, uh, and, uh, and set them uh, at large. Uh, like in an old Wild West movie where someone's accused of a terrible crime, a rape or a murder, and the townspeople come with their pitchforks and their their torches and and break them out and and uh, and hang them. In this case, the mob will come to free the immigration detainee, and uh, I think it's I think it's going to happen. Well, it helps that you have uh, the uh, legitimacy conveyed by judges who uh, block the president's 
immigration order, even though it's clearly the law that he has the authority to do this. Uh, and, uh, and of course, this was, uh, this was blocked by, as we call it, the Ninth Circus. <laughs> that was Thursday. You're talking about Washington State versus Trump. Yes. And, uh, you know, the Ninth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals is the most, by far the most reversed uh, circuit in the country. For those who don't understand how it works, you have these various levels of courts. Uh, and uh, the uh, Ninth Circuit is uh, the one that covers uh, essentially the West Coast uh, area of the United States. And uh, so very big. Uh, when they had the, the, the conference call the other night of the judges and you have the, the person in Hawaii and you have somebody in California and so on. And, and so it covers a huge area. It's very important, but it's the one that's been most stacked with crazy uh, left-wing judges. And, and just to be clear, what I mean is these are people who literally do not uh, go with the words of the Constitution and the law, which is what you do if you believe in democracy, if you believe uh, that law means anything and that the Constitution means anything. Uh, they base their positions on uh, what they think are the good policies. So if they, if they, and, and, and if they like you, if you're, if you're the, the side in the case that they like, then they concoct some sort of argument that supports your, your side. And we saw that. And this three-judge panel, I like to call them the three stooges of the Ninth Circuit, judges Richard R. Clifton, William C. Canby, and Michelle T. Friedland, uh, ruled that Executive Order 13769, that was the um, executive order that President uh, uh, Trump signed on February 3rd, temporarily banning travel from seven terrorism-producing countries to put a, a pause on immigration policy while the new administration thinks through how best to handle people, uh, the admission of aliens from those, those dangerous, troubled countries. Um, they ruled that, uh, that he has no right to do that, that he didn't, uh, and they applied some kind of, they seem to have applied some kind of a rational basis test to uh, the executive order that he has to prove something. They, they just invented stuff out of, out of whole cloth, uh, it was totally, totally insane. It's uh, like they made it out of uh, pixie dust and unicorn well, farts. To be, to be clear, they're not supposed to be questioning the wisdom of the policy. Uh, during the uh, the arguments, they were asking uh, the person from the Justice Department. Remember, uh, at that point, we still didn't have an attorney general confirmed. Right. And I, the, it was only yesterday. It was for the. This happened right. on the first day of Jeff Sessions uh, on the job as attorney general of the U.S. And the Trump administration, the way this works is when you don't have the people confirmed, you have an acting person, and it's somebody that you go down in the bureaucracy. It has to be it has to be somebody who, uh, who's uh, who's been Senate confirmed at some point. So basically, you know, you're talking about maybe the Obama person who was in there before. And they've got to find somebody they can trust. And I've, I've heard that they have to go two, three, four levels down in the bureaucracy to find people that they can even trust to just do common uh, everyday things, sign this order that's a, that's a, you know, not controversial and so on. So we had a situation where the acting attorney general defied the president and was fired, and uh, as as she should have been. That was Sally Yates. Sally Yates. An Obama holdover. An Obama holdover. And, uh, of course, they, they tried to make this out, uh, the people on the other side, that was like the Saturday Night Massacre back during Watergate. But of course, that was Nixon firing his own people because they wouldn't go along, and that actually had some moral weight to it if your own people say you can't do this. But in, in the case of what happened this this uh, past couple of weeks, it was the attorney gen the acting attorney general who was the Obama person. And, and, and this is through true throughout the bureaucracy, that you have 
people who are openly opposed to everything the president does, and they are trying to get their way into these positions. So you had this fellow doing the argument the other night. Now, there's a lot of discussion over whether he was just poorly prepared, uh, whether he didn't do a good job uh, based on his uh, uh, lack of competence or lack of preparation. Uh, There is a practice in the bureaucracy of what's called sue and settle, and that's where uh, you want to to lose a case. You you deliberately throw a case, uh, and that's because one of your lefty friends is the one on the other side, and you want them to win, so you don't really make the best arguments. Uh, you You deliberately cause the other side to win. I, I don't know that that's what happened here. I'm told that's not what happened in this case, but it is something people should be aware of because it happens all the time. I think one of the more disturbing aspects of the ruling is that the Ninth Circuit appears to have found that President Trump's executive order was a Muslim ban in disguise. They took evidence uh, or they, they accepted submissions I don't know if they're technically considered evidence that that President Trump, uh, that Rudy Giuliani had uh, said that you can't just ban Muslims. So what you have to do is you have to uh, just you have to um, uh, limit immigration from specific countries and that uh, uh, so they basically took the fact that the executive order was narrowly tailored so as not to offend any part of any aspect of the Constitution. They took that as if it was some sort of nasty uh, trick when, in fact, President Trump was only trying to was only trying to uh, uh, follow the law and constitutional traditions. One, uh, the court also didn't seem to take into account a federal law, an aspect of the Immigration and Naturalization Act that's been in effect since, I believe, 1952, that states that the president, in his sole discretion, uh, can decide um, uh, or at least can make emergency orders with respect to uh, the admission of aliens. Aliens do not have a uh, right under the U.S. Constitution to enter the United States, uh, and yet the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that ruled in effect that they do that they have standing to challenge and uh, 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 Ben Shapiro and other legal commentators uh, like Judge Napolitano were saying this seems to give legal standing to everybody everywhere on the planet to uh, to uh, uh, challenge um, U.S. immigration policy and this is 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 totally absurd but it's it's not out of line for the ninth circus because they make this kind of stuff up all the time they live in a reality of alternate facts and find them and and they try to change things uh substituting their own judgment um for the dictates of the law and the constitution and of course the the argument is made that because Rudy Giuliani was tasked with finding a way to do what the president wanted and to do it constitutionally. And of course, what that thing the president wanted was to make the country safer. And yes, he did propose at one point a temporary uh, ban on a Muslim immigration into the United States. And he said, so until we could work things out, until we could figure out what's going on, those are the words that he used. And, and so... Uh, but his goal was to keep out 
dangerous people. And the problem you have is it's very difficult to distinguish the Muslims who are uh, who believe in democracy, who believe in freedom, or who are nonviolent from those who are supporters of Sharia law, who support the subjugation and mutilation of women, who support the murder of homosexuals, who support using violence to get their way, to impose a uh, worldwide caliphate to uh, get rid of all secular governments. And that's something that a very high percentage of Muslims in the world believe. So the question is, how do you keep out the people who are evil and who are bad and want to hurt this country, and then let in the people who are good people, who support democracy? Something that the Ninth Circuit seemed really hung up on in adding to what I said earlier and what you just said was the question of a religious test. Now, I would take the position, and the Trump administration would take the position, that there was no religious test here. But let's concede that to the other side for the sake of of our discussion. Let's say there was a religious test. Would a religious test pass constitutional scrutiny? I suspect that it would. Tucker Carlson was uh, beating the bejesus out of Carl Racine, the District of Columbia's um, uh, elected Democrat, Haitian-born attorney general last night on Fox News Channel uh, over the question of religious tests. And he pointed out that U.S. law explicitly recognizes religious tests in immigration law. They are forbidden in other areas, such as in uh, uh, public uh, seeking public office and so on, and government service, and uh, the granting of benefits to people, uh, government benefits. But they are not. The religious test is not. Uh, excluded in immigration law, and he gave an facet, a, a great example that 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 uh, I'd forgotten about. And he said that up until September 1988, um, Soviet Jews were treated differently than other people in the world. The U.S. had a standing policy of accepting these people as refugees because the U.S. recognized that that Jews were persecuted in the then Soviet Union, and. Uh, and so that's an explicitly religious test. Well, in fact, uh, the, the it used used in favor of a group. So it stands to reason why couldn't it be used against a group? Well, the, the, first of all, the, the, it's very important to understand constitutional rights apply to uh, Americans, uh, Americans who are citizens, or those uh, in this country who are not necessarily Americans, but they're under American protection because they're on U.S. soil. So the term that's often used is U.S. persons, uh, and that includes American citizens and resident aliens, those within the United States. And those people have constitutional rights. Uh, people who live in other countries do not have constitutional rights under the U.S. Constitution. Uh, it would be really hard to, say, fight a war if we had to apply U.S. constitutional law to people who were in other countries who were not American citizens. The Supreme is Court has actually about. tried to do that, requiring that soldiers be Mirandized on the battlefield when taken into custody. But that's a topic for another podcast. That in itself is insane, and the government should shouldn't do it. But but the big issue here is one of the great uh, crimes, moral crimes of the 1930s, uh, is that people wanted to apply a fair standard for refugees fleeing Europe. So, um, for example, the St. Louis, which was a ship 
carrying Jews. Uh, well, we can't let them in because that wouldn't be fair to all those other people who are from Europe, who are you know possibly under the under the uh, you know who are suffering because of what Hitler is doing and so on. Well, of course. The Jews needed protection, and they needed protection because of what is now recognized in international law as the crime of genocide, that killing a bunch of people is a terrible crime. But killing a bunch of people, killing millions of people, in order to eliminate them from the face of the earth and destroy their culture is a much greater crime. And that is why uh, we had the Nuremberg trials. That is why we have the attitude that uh, that was a terrible, terrible thing. And so you had the Soviet Jews. Jews who were given special treatment, yes, on the basis of their religion, because that's why they were being oppressed. And guess what? What is the situation we have now uh, with regard to the Middle East and to some of the countries that were involved in this order? Christians and, are being slaughtered, Christians, crucified, Christians, Yazidis. And Yazidis, right. Uh, so it's not, it's not. oh, well, these are people in the majority, so therefore they're, you know, in the United States, so therefore they can't be oppressed. That, first of all, that's ridiculous. They're, not, they're certainly not in the majorities in those countries, and we're talking about the Yazidis. Uh, and so, I mean, you're talking about sex slavery, uh, just the, the, the most horrible treatment, mass murder, and uh, they're basically trying to eliminate those people from those countries, and we should be giving them sanctuary. But guess what? And I'll give you an example with regard to Syria. The country of Syria was 10% Christian uh, before the current conflict started. Uh, less than, what, half of 1%, I believe, of the refugees who've been, who have been admitted to the United States have been Christian. And at one point, when they had the first round of a few thousand refugees, you know how many Yazidis there were? There, there was one. Not 1%. One. So the Obama administration systematically discriminated against Christians and Yazidis. Now, you can excuse them by saying, oh, well, they were using the UN, which, of course, is anti-Christian and anti-Yazidi, but they were using the UN process. You could use that excuse, but there is no excuse. And there's no excuse for not providing refuge to the Christians and the Yazidis who were being persecuted and run out of their territory and wiped out. So, Speaking of persecution, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, <laughs> Big Chief Focahontas, claims to have been persecuted. I wanted to get this in before we wrap today. Uh, Elizabeth Warren was accused of violating or was found to have violated, what was it, Senate Standing Rule 19? 19, 19, 19. Because she was reading a nasty letter um, uh, containing the opinion of Martin Luther King's um, widow. widow, Coretta Scott King, saying that, that Jeff Sa Sessions, then senator and nominee for attorney general as of a few days ago, uh, was, was a very nasty person, that he was a racist and that he was against civil rights and the usual smears. Uh, and she tried to read it on the Senate floor and was called to order and told to shut her big, big mouth and sit down. And she was very upset about this. Uh, and claimed that it was the patriarchy that was out to get her, uh, when in fact she was violating the Senate's r rules. And, and this rebuke, this kind of rebuke is extremely rare, but um, uh, senators uh, thought it was appropriate in this case. Well, this goes back to 1902 when Ben Pitchfork Tillman, uh, who was senator from South Carolina, he slugged the 
uh, junior senator from his state. And uh, so they passed these rules so that uh, senators would not insult each other on the floor of the Senate. And Elizabeth Warren clearly violated that. She's basically implying that uh, Jeff Sessions is this horrible racist. She's using this letter that I'm sure Coretta Scott King didn't write. Coretta Scott King later appeared at an event where uh, a support, uh, uh, an event paying tribute to Rosa Parks, who of course was from Alabama, who Jeff Sessions got a congressional gold medal for in tribute to the great Rosa Parks. Uh, Jeff Sessions also uh, he, was, he prosecuted Klansmen, and he got an award from the Alabama NAACP in the year 2009 for excellence in his legislative work. Uh, appointed the first African American chief counsel of Judiciary Committee. This is nonsense. And Elizabeth Warren uh, was uh, was doing something terrible. And I'll mention one thing: every time you hear a news story on this that mentions the word silence, she was silenced. This is what they do. The left picks a word, like gravitas, remember that was the big thing a few years ago? They'll pick a word, and you can see that that news story is just one leftist quoting another leftist. So that's where we are on this uh, story. The um, That's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. We hope you'll join us. Please follow us at the Capital Research Center on Facebook, on our YouTube channel, and at Capital Research on Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen. And I'm Matthew Vadum. Thanks for listening.